So we're talking about a very tense time where there's a lot of political energy going on in that land. I mean, Lewis was seeing that in his day, and we are seeing it in our day. And it doesn't matter what – I mean, it's coming down the pike today just one right after the other, whether it is uh, the social justice issues, whether it's COVID-19 or the racial unrest and violence in our land. The issues are just relentless, and Christians are getting their focus on that. They're wanting to Christianize their politics. And the question I have for you is, can we do that? Should we do that? In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled by burning design. to the Code of Man podcast. This is part two of our discussion on Christians and politics and uh, joined in the studio by Easy Target and Roland Napoleon. We are going to jump right back into that conversation where we left off last time, uh, episode one of this series. So thank you again for joining us. Going back to trying to Christianize all these issues it goes back to what Jesus said, render to Caesar to what is Caesar's. The Christian life, there is enough to, 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 to complicate it, enough that the devil's throwing at us that, that we should try to politicize everything. Cause that's, the, that's the problem. So talked about this before, just with the church. It's not the outward persecution that hurts the church. It's the inward persecution. Yep. It's politicizing everything. Just, you know, you, you have two sides, three sides— against each other but going back to all of these all of these issues that are going on today having an opinion about everything having having to politicize everything if it doesn't interfere with the bible if it doesn't interfere with your walk with god be a law-abiding citizen sure wearing a mask or whatever it may be it may be inconvenient wearing a seatbelt can be inconvenient sometimes right as long as it does not mess with the word of god and our duty as a Christian to obey our Heavenly Father, be a law-abiding citizen, have a good testimony, and spread the light of Jesus Christ while you're doing it. That would be, that would be my answer. But, because there's going to be some listeners that are going to hear what you're going to say, and they're going to say, all right, but I've got you. Because you're saying be a law-abiding citizen as much as you can, but the government has proven that if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Right. And if they're going to take your freedoms right now, then mark it down. They're going to be coming for your religious freedoms before long. And then what are you going to do? Then how are you going to keep your politics out of your faith and take a stand for the truth of the gospel and all that kind of stuff? That's a great way to bring in a key point to this discussion, back to the kingdom mindset. Because, talk about make a hot-button controversial issue here, the government comes knocking on your door. All right, we're here to collect your guns. What are you going to do? When we reach that point, the average Christian man says, when they come knocking on my door to take my guns, they can have them when they pry them from my cold, dead hands, right? Right. And I, I have a problem with envisioning Jesus in that type of attitude. 
didn't Jesus literally tell Peter to put up his sword? Well, after he told him to go and purchase a sword. Pretty Personally, I, I don't think Jesus probably was would have been a member of the NRA. He had a lot more important things going on. And, and really, I mean, the NRA wants you to pay dues, and he'd had to send Peter out to catch more fish to do that. And it's already <laughs> tax season. It's right. just, yeah. you know, I mean, there's only so much you can put your money to. But the kingdom mindset tells me that what is, you know, it asks me to think through what are my priorities? What am I really going to stand, what hill am I going to die on, you know? And when I look at, when I look at another letter of Paul's that is very much a resource for this type of conversation, it's Philippians, the letter to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20, Paul says, for our conversation, that word literally means our citizenship. It has as a root word there the very word of politic. Our politics, you can say that, do no injustice to the scripture. For our politics, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When they came to arrest the Apostle Paul, I really don't think the Apostle Paul barred his door stood back with a sword in each hand and said, I dare you to come in and grab me, boys. You know what I'm saying? Because the Apostle Paul's mindset was, I am in the will of God. I am serving God. The most important thing in my life is to know Christ, to follow him. And whenever he sees fit for my time to be done here, eventually, Paul says, I'm ready to be offered. So our politics, he says, is in heaven. I know we quote Psalm 1 a lot. Mm -hmm. How we handle those situations has a lot to do with Psalm chapter number one. Because going back to what you said about getting, Christianizing all the politics, when did we become so angry? Mm. Uh, just, just, it's that seat of the scornful. I ain't, yeah. you know, I'm not doing this stupid thing or that, but just name calling and so angry. So where's the line? Where can we, um, I want to be a law-abiding citizen. I want to live, live peaceful. I want to give out the gospel. I want to be like Christ while defending my rights, looking at the big picture and realizing, hey, if they're taking away this right, it may affect my religious freedom. Well, let's keep going down that path. Look at when Jesus got angry, because you mentioned why, why are we so, so angry? Well, I Jesus mean scornful. Got, well, yeah. no, no, but, but I mean, I think it's still applicable because Jesus got angry when folks were misusing and misrepresenting the role of worship oh yeah absolutely yeah we never see jesus getting angry at i mean the time of christ was in the heyday of the roman empire quite possibly the most wicked form of human government that has ever graced the planet i mean the I stuff i think marxism socialism is right up there too but i mean you're you're talking about you're talking about a a people group i mean what what the, what the emperor said it went and the early church that was persecuted just, and we don't see Jesus getting angry at the at the, the overstep of government or the, or the out you know. Yeah, they, the Roman government nailed him to the cross. Yeah, and his yeah. and his response was, "Marvel not that the world hates you. Yeah. Don't don't let that be a surprise." But we do see him getting upset when those that are putting on the clothing and the airs of leading in worship and leading people to God, when they get out of line, then you see Jesus getting angry and upset. And I think we want to, I think we want to take a moment to offer some viewpoint from those who feel it's very important to fight for our freedoms, liberties. 
and, and look for the goodness in that, okay? But when it's all said and done, this the kingdom mindset, realizing that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we belong to him, we serve the king, Jesus Christ, when we understand that, then really whatever is lost in this temporary life means nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about these apostles and then so many since them down through the years that were willing to lose and give up everything. The Apostle John writes Revelation from the Isle of Patmos because he has been put out there by the government of his time. I mean, Peter's crucified. You know, on and on and on the story goes. And yet, look at the words of these men. I believe Peter uh, also said to us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This is a guy who would be crucified upside down by the government. There's got to be some balance to this. Politics and government, Christian involvement in politics. Now, goodness, in the those who say, you know, we've got some we've got a great nation. Our nation was founded by Christians or at least God-fearing, God-recognizing people. Our Judeo-Christian roots in our form of government. And I think you have to be in great denial or ignorant to to say that all that's not true. There's enough documented support for all of that. Somewhere along the line, we, we look at organizations, we look at ministries that, that will stand up, and even Christ, individual Christians who will stand up and say, no, we need to make sure that we do our part to, to, to resist you know, evil in government and to keep our freedoms and make, keep this a, a godly nation. Okay, mm-hmm. so what's the goodness in that? I mean, what can we call out of that, and and I guess bless and say, hey, we can do that this way, and I think we're doing it right, and we're still keeping the kingdom mindset. What are the ways we do that? We put into practice the lawful freedoms that we have. <clears throat> you know, we we exercise the rights that we have. We do them with a with a good spirit. We do them with a with a loving demeanor. You know, uh, we we have been afforded this nation and the right to vote and the the right to do all these kind of things there's nothing wrong with employing what is constitutionally ours to do and and to do it the right way but we have to be so on guard that we do it in the right spirit and we do it in the right attitude you know there's there I don't I don't believe there's anything wrong with a guy that is interested in in government and you know, we, we preach, hey, we need Christian plumbers, we need Christian doctors, we need Christian businessmen. I believe we need Christian government officials who are modeling and emulating this is what this is the way that our founding fathers intended it. This is the way that God intended for human government to be exercised, to have that civil servant mindset, which our government has lost. We don't have civil servants in government anymore. We have manipulators and you know, empire builders. So to, for somebody that is willing to go in and have that Christ-like service attitude, nothing wrong with that and nothing wrong with being interested and being involved in it so long as we don't lose our mindset of, of what our priority is. The popular thought or way of framing the popular thought that's been around for a long time, really gener- a, a decades, Ted Cruz said in, in his campaign in 2015, and, and I'll paraphrase, I guess, but basically he said in an interview if Christians will go out and vote their values, we can change our nation. Now, I don't think you can argue against that on the level of 
I mean, on a practical, realistic level, if we were to truly go out and vote our values, we could probably change our nation. I think one of the things you have to remember, though, is that we are in conflict with the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness, and that there is an enemy. I mean, Lewis's writing was fiction, right? But it's based on truth that there is an enemy who is thwarting the work of God. And this world we know is headed for decay, ruin, and rot. As a matter of fact, we often teach that there are three divinely ordained institutions, right? There is the home, there is the government, and there is the church. And, 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 and most all of us as Christians, we understand and believe those things. Now, you take God out of any of those things, they get corrupted. Mm-hmm. You let government take charge of any of those things, they get corrupted. What, what three areas would Satan most like to corrupt other than the home, the government, and the church? And we're looking at a time, living in a time where he is adamantly rampaging on all those things. At what point do we act like Cain did, where he tried to build his own civilization apart from God? Mm-hmm. Right? We try to, where can we say, hey, I want to be a godly leader. I, wanna, I want my country to, to be a godly nation. But where do we draw the line to realize, hey, this isn't, this isn't my home. I'm a citizen of another country. This is soon, I have a mission. This is soon all going to burn up. I can't sit here and talk about this like it's paradise and right. try to be like Cain. I'm going to do things my way, and I'm going to build my own civilization in a fallen, sin-cursed world. Yeah, and the, the, the problem is, is that we, go on, we, we can tend to go on the two extremes with it because we believe in theocracy in the sense that that is God's government. What we don't believe, when we, when we say we believe in theocracy, what we don't mean is that we believe that America ought to become, hang with me, if listening out there in podcast world, grab your seat, we don't believe America should become a Christian nation. There, there's, there's too many lines blurred in that way of thinking. Yep. The government's role is not to establish religion and teach faith. Right. You know, The Anabaptists were known for adhering to a two-kingdom concept. Now listen to this and see, see what you think. So we're ta- we're talk- there's two things here. Like You're talking about we need to participate in the government with the right spirit. You're talking about finding that line between what can we do versus I'm just going to go out here and I'm going to I'm going to rant, rave, and I'm going to build something, an empire on earth. Okay, Anabaptists adhere to a two-kingdom concept, the belief that the kingdom of heaven is different and distinct from the kingdoms of this world. So that belief essentially means the separation of church and state, but it differed from Protestantism. Because the Protestants, in their belief, believe that the church, I'm going to quit trying to use this. The Anabaptists believe that, that, that there was a clear, distinct separation between church and state yes. because there are two kingdoms. There's yes. the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the world. They believed, in other words, that the state had no right to interfere with the affairs of the church. Neither did the church have the right to interfere yeah. with the affairs of the state. They took an extreme stand on that, that these are just two separate things. And I believe, I believe, now I can't sit here and say that I can defend that or that we would all agree with every piece and point to that, but I believe it does go back to, again, Philippians, where Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst 
of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And Paul goes on to say what our role is as Christians in that crooked, perverse nation whom we are to shine as lights, our role is to hold forth the word of life. Paul said that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. So I think that I think they would look at that view. In other words, the, the Anabaptists, I think you look at the Amish, Mennonites, a lot of them, and I don't want to speak for them, but I think a lot of them hold those same views. I mean, the Quakers back during the Civil War are pretty much known for, hey, we're not in this conflict. This is not our fight. Well, we were talking earlier, the joining of church and state. We were talking earlier about Theodosius and Constantine and about how the Roman Empire joined the church and state, made Christianity the statewide religion of Rome, and just how they interfered with the church. Constantine even called himself the head of the church. And the local New Testament Bible church, the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ writes to seven local churches. They're, they're, they're separate. They each had a testimony. They were autonomous. They each had a, a relationship with him. Now, all of a sudden, you have the emperor saying that Christianity is a statewide religion, and I'm the head of the church, and now we're going to have this man over this group. and this. So when you... I see where the Anabaptists definitely from that perspective, trying to keep the two separate, meaning you don't want, you don't want to join those two together and, and mix uh, the, the world in with the church. But I'll just say, you know, I, I, I can agree with the view of the, the state not getting involved with the church at all, but I don't know that we can be as hardline that the church should not have any kind of sway on the state because that's literally what we're here to do. In being those lights and being those, if we're not influencing the lives of lost men, we're really not being those kind of lights. So there has to be some sort of, of influence that is being shaped. If I have the opportunity to influence my government officials, my the statements you read almost makes it seem like, hey, you know what, I'm not even supposed to be in you know, civil matters, anything. All I've got time to do is read the Bible and That's witness not, for Christ. No, 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 no. I think you misunderstood. All right. What they're saying that is does the church a little bit does better. not have the right to go in and tell the government how to do their business. Ah, uh, okay. I'm, Just I'm, like the government doesn't have the right to come in and tell the church how to do their business. But the separation of church and state, it was a letter, in a le- it was a statement used in a letter written to Thomas Jefferson by, definitely by a minister. But the, the phrase separation of church and state was not in a government document. Now, it's probably been put through all kind of government bills and documents over the last little bit, but it originated in a letter from a minister to Thomas Jefferson saying, hey, these are two different entities. They're both God-ordained, but they're not the same thing. So to explain, I think, where that two-kingdom mindset that the Anabaptists had, that maybe some of the Mennonites have and the Amish, and frankly, that I think we're saying we should have, to explain how those things cross— Okay, we said role of the Christian in politics, role of the Christian in government. So what we're not saying is is that as Christians we should have no part, no lot in the matter at all. So then what? How? What do we do? How do we influence the government? How do we take part in it? So should a Christian run for office? 
I mean, I think Christian can run for office because what's the difference in using that platform that may be provided for him? Again, this isn't the church, like our undisclosed location local church, going into our local town hall and saying, look, this is what you need to do. But if I, as an individual, can be elected by my peers, by you know my constituents in my town, and have the opportunity to shine the light of Christ on a, on a broader scale and conduct myself the right way, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, because that's not the church entering into politics. That is a believer that is entering into his society to impact the society which God has left him in. Like Paul said, 1 Timothy 2, last part of verse 4, or excuse me, verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And that's not me taking that out of context. Read the context. It is referring to government, right? So, yes, I believe a, a Christian is okay to, to run for office. They're just make sure there's that line there. This is not the church. Your position in the government is not a theocracy. It is right. not you forcing people or it, it is you're in a government position. This is a God-ordained thing where you can be a light for Jesus Christ and you can help the church, but it's not the church. You can't confuse the two. So you can bring to that role biblical principle and biblical principle that really informs the role of government. You're, you can become a voice for that. You know, one of the big things I, I think that, that we all would agree, listeners too, a biblical principle that could be applied here, I'm using terms that aren't biblical words, but I'm, limited government, right? That, yep. You hear that a lot. And we know our government today has just mushroomed into some sort of deformed thing. Major overreach. Yes, very large, too much, involved in everything. I don't know that the role of serving in public office is something you take lightly like, I need a job, so I'm going to go apply for this. Right. I would, I, would say, I would say, no, God has put this in your heart. And if God has put it in your heart to go and do this thing, then go and do it and make a difference. What is one word that just about anybody, the, the modern-day person, that you, your neighbor that you have a conversation with, one word we can all agree on to sum up politicians. Corruption, crooked. What better way? We're not mixing we're not mixing the church and government. We we know the difference, but what better way to be a light for Jesus Christ to be an honest politician, an honest government official rather. Somebody who really wants to do good and protect the people and put the criminals behind bars and so forth all while being honest, living peaceful among men, and having a good testimony for Christ. And, you know, at, 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 a, at the same, along those same lines, if a Christian can serve in the military, if a Christian can serve as a police officer, those are government, mm-hmm. you know, positions, government positions. Right. Right. Now, we all know there's a lot of politics goes on in those fields, too. I mean, politics just, politics as it is, Defined today corrupts a lot of good government. But if we can go in and be, you know, forces of good, forces of biblical principle in those fields, hey, we can impact lives. We can change the country for the good. And look, you may not ever change the entire country. If the Bible is true, and we believe it is, this world is headed toward a fiery climax. Climax. 
So you're not going to save yep. the world. Okay, You're not going to save the world. What we can do is we can capture hearts of men and women, individual people, and introduce them to Christ. And every principle that is needed to be a pastor, and I, I don't mean, I didn't say the qualifications, but every principle needed to be a good pastor is the same to be a good senator, a good police officer, a good a good safety guy at the local place where they produce something we don't know pharmaceutical what cartons pharmaceutical undis- undisclosed location yes. in my other life he's referring to dr dean <laughs> roland napoleon environmental health and safety it's uh he'll put you to sleep folks it'll put you to sleep <laughs> trying to add some co- comedic relief there so another way that christians can impact is by voting we are in an election season and it's it, you know i mean why why should we not vote and i'll give you a good answer Okay, let's talk about this one a little bit. Because I said, I I made reference to it earlier. We hear that thing all the time. Well, I'm just going to hold my nose and go in there and vote. I'm voting for the lesser of two evils. That's probably, probably no truer statement has ever been made, and that statement's never been truer than it is today. We were talking the other day, these debates. I remember watching the debate between George W. Bush and John Kerry uh, back in the early 2000s. And it, it's funny, and I'm sure I don't remember it all very well, and there might be things that I'm missing, but I remember that there were some moments of maybe some jabs, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, a little, little shot at, at one another. But by and large, it was, it was a debate. You heard two men express their beliefs and their ideas and their vision, and uh, they were funny. There were some things, I mean, Hey, anybody that watched W in the debates remembers his faces. His facial expressions were hilarious. But he didn't, he didn't act like a jerk. Enough said about that. We do need to vote for our values. We do need to vote for what we think best honors Christ. I mean, what, what is righteous? That's what we're looking for. We vote for the righteous things. What do you do when there is no righteousness to vote for? You know, it's one thing to vote for the lesser of two evils where you may have to overlook a little bit of, eh. But when you legitimately look at your candidate choices as a believer and say, really? I mean, how is this? I get that the world is awful. But how is this the best that even the world has to present? Because I've met some really genuinely good lost people, you know, that would, that would be decent individuals, just don't know Christ. So now what are we supposed to do? Yeah, because you hear that other statement all the time. Well, we're not electing a pastor. No, but I would at least like to elect a genuinely decent human being. <laughs> a decent human being. But yeah. what happened was the last election cycle, as a party, the Republicans chose an individual over some men with character mm-hmm. and quality, and they chose that individual for the bombastic, the, well, it just reflected the animosity that was in society. And rather than looking for someone to lift us up, we looked for someone who, who, could, who had the ability to say what we wanted to say and, and stick it to the man. Push the other side down. Yeah, and the result now is going to be the big giant pendulum swing, which I believe was a pendulum swing then because people were so aggravated, scornful from the previous... Um, administration that they said, well, let's give it to them. You know, well, what caused that? Politics. 
yep. politics all the way down into the individual person's heart and life, rather than looking at the big picture of government, staying focused on the, as they say, keep your eye on the prize. They got distracted. Yeah. Just like Lewis talks about in those screw tape letters. I remember being a kid, you're talking about the previous administration, going back to the one before that, talking about the Republicans, they took a lot of positions in, like, the House, and they were given a lot. And I just remember a lot of individuals being let down because there was so much. They had voted these individuals in, and not a lot was done. So I think with this last election, you had someone who said they're not a politician, and they're not going to say what you want to hear. They're just going to get in there and stick it to the man. Like you said, people are fed up. They're frustrated. But unfortunately, is that Christ-like? Is that mm-hmm. who we really want to identify ourselves with? Is that really living a peaceful life? And now you're seeing the effects of it. Going back to that debate, that debate was a reflection on our country right now. No civil discussion. No healthy conflict. No two human beings, you're passionate about what you believe, I'm passionate about. I'm going to interrupt you a little bit, but at the end of this, we can shake hands or whatever. We can respect each other. You, you believe in what, you, exactly, I, I'm going to respect you. However, this was just, it, I know we joke and pick and carry on, but it was, it was awful. It was sad. The, two grown men calling each other names, interrupting each other, arguing. Take a pair of boxing gloves out there next time. It's, it's almost as bad as it was, right? Yeah. It, 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 and that's what that, that, that seed was planted, that I'm going to stick it to the man. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to tell you what it is. And that's what's been going on, and that's where we are now. There's a log jam in the swamp. I would say going back to a, a man or a woman that wants to serve in office, at whatever level of government, they're going to have to go in there with eyes wide open, not – you know, looking for rainbows, unicorns, and, you know, four-leaf clovers, or whatever it is people look for when they think it's going to be great and wonderful, and they're going to change the whole world. No, don't do that. Go in there to make an impact as the light, holding forth the word of life, because you are not going to break up that log jam. It is so deep now, and we are headed toward the end. We are told by Paul in Philippians 3.20, he said, looking for the coming of Jesus. Now, when you go back to where we started, John 18, Jesus and Pilate spoke about two things, the kingdom and truth. Whatever your field is, whatever your life role is, always we need a kingdom mindset, which is Sermon on the Mount. It's kingdom mindset and and truth. Where, how can I stand for, represent, and pass along truth? Too, to that, that politician that's looking to go in and not changing the world, having that kind of mindset. You know, it's, it's sort of the same thing that we encourage young men who are training to be pastors. Don't, don't go in with the mindset that, you know what, I'm going to give my life over to the Lord and I'm going to, I'm going to change the world for Christ. You know, I think we have misused that, that verse, you know, men who have turned the world upside down. And we, are, we preach and we charge, you know, be a man that will turn the world upside down. That's not our call. We have no bearing in that. The only thing we can control is to be 100% yielded individuals to what God can do through us. What Peter said to be ready always to give an answer to any man that asketh you a reason of the hope which liveth in you. That's our responsibility, whether it is in an elective government position, whether it's as a pastor of a church, whether it's 
you fill in the blank, that is what we are tasked to do. That is to be the light. If my goal and my end game is, okay, in order for my life to be successful, I have to enact large-scale change, then we are by default going to compromise some things in order to see that change come to pass. And that's where government, politics have corrupted a lot of good-meaning people because they had to force change that is not up to them. If we take so much pressure off of ourselves, if we just say, you know what, I'm just going to focus on minding the Lord, being that light, giving an answer to every man, being a witness, just trying to radiate Christ and everything, and then I'm going to let God determine how my life impacts everything and what the fallout is from years to come. Uh, you know, that's what we've got to be uh, mindful about. Well, this will be a great place for me to jump in on part two of this discussion here at the undisclosed location of Code Headquarters, and we've been talking about Christians and politics. And I think if you're listening, if you're making it all the way through these podcast episodes, one thing that is for sure, this is can be a complicated, complex issue to figure out. We want to do what is right. We want to honor God. We want to represent the gospel in everything we do, even when it comes to how we relate and engage with our government. But it's difficult. At times, we scratch our head and we wonder, what is the right thing to do? Well, before we wrap up today, let me just encourage you, Christian, spend time in the Word of God. Stay in your place of prayer. The Lord Jesus will lead us in this. Jesus never ran from the government of his day. He never hid from dealing with the issues of his day. And if we will follow the shepherd and bishop of our soul, he'll help us to do the same. I want to be a light for the gospel. And, uh, and you men and you ladies that listen to this podcast, we hope this is helping you and encouraging you. Now, we encourage you to be back next week for part three of this discussion, and we're looking forward to that. Until then, uh, this is Overtrek, Mike Barnett saying happy trails to you. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire, and the flames are controlled by burning design. Best you can be, so everyone will.